Well, aloha and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on this Sunday afternoon live from Maui, Hawaii. It's actually uh, a little after 11 in the morning here in Maui, uh, 1 o'clock in the Pacific, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, 4 o'clock in the East, and available as a podcast, and a special aloha to the podcast people. Before starting the recording for the podcast, I was talking with the live people here about the nature of podcasts, and I was recommending uh, iTunes as one of the best pod catchers. There are others, and if you have uh, different operating systems and uh, types of machines, you might want to consider your options, but I'm crazy about iTunes, even if you don't use it to organize your music, but simply as a pod catcher. It's really cool. And access to the iTunes store, again, even if you don't buy anything there, it's a great place to subscribe to podcasts, which are always free. Premium Audio Programs is a program that maybe podcast may use that technology, but um, is for sale because it has premium content. It's a longer program or contains important information, intellectual property, that kind of stuff. Um, And we offer that for a token fee of 99 cents at focusedpassion.com. And uh, that's $3.96 a month, less than $4 a month for a weekly conversation between two personal development experts, my business partner, Steve Snyder, and myself. A conversation, a back and forth, that um, I think is um, even greater than the sum of the parts. I, I, I love the programs. And it's a way that you can help defer our broadband costs and uh, support this program as well. And the free articles that are on our website and so on just help us with a minimal donation of uh, 396 a month might be a good... Thing to consider as you move into the new year, right? And um, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. If you like these programs, I think you'll just love the Finding Yourself in Paradise uh, premium audio series at FocusedPassion.com. Check it out. And um, you can also check out the uh, retreat page, too, while you're there and find out about February's Mindfulness Retreat. We're going to talk about mindfulness today. Our topic for the day today is becoming mindful. And what does it mean to be mindful? Starting with uh, a little story in my own life, I came to meditation and contemplation in a mystical or metaphysical sense through mind science, through self-hypnosis, basically, and uh, having read Edgar Cayce books and Seth's, uh, Seth books and uh, those kinds of books, I was always interested in human potential and our spiritual potential um, as well grew out of that interest in, again, so-called mind science and the self-hypnosis stuff. So the concept of mindfulness uh, was slow in coming to me. 
I was into meditation as a technique, like self-hypnosis, but the idea of really detaching from my thoughts, this Eastern concept of mindfulness, it's a universal concept, but in many ways we have to credit Eastern philosophers with this awareness. Uh, an awareness of awareness. <laughs> to be conscious of your awareness or to be aware of your consciousness. right? Just rather than being driven by your thoughts. So-called normal consciousness. Not natural, but what has become normal consciousness, especially in the West, is being driven by a thought train that you identify with. And you believe that you have to believe your thoughts because they're your thoughts and that's who you are. And nothing is further from the truth. Uh, that's why we argue with ourselves. I mean, the basic identity dilemma is if I am my thoughts and my thoughts disagree, I argue with myself all the time. I can't hardly have a thought that an argument is not echoed back by some part of my mind or my uh, yeah but is just lurking in the <laughs> in the wings right so how could i possibly be uh, my thoughts well then the question is if i am not the thoughts and i'm not the thinker of those thoughts what could stand above that what could if i took a step back and that may be my first definition of mindfulness, a step back to see the larger context or the bigger picture that I might know more and I might understand more. Indeed, understanding in esoteric philosophy is a word that's capitalized. It's a second-ray word for theosophists who may be listening. It's love-based. It corresponds to the soul or to consciousness itself. This is wisdom. This is love, truth. This is that second aspect of the Trinity, the Buddha nature, so to speak. Um, that's the perspective or the identity and the motive, love, of one who is who is mindful. Now, this Buddha consciousness or Christ consciousness of perfect enlightenment, um, you know, it's not an everything or nothing deal. It's like uh, <laughs> I have a vision of those devices at uh, the carnivals where the strong men would hit the pallet with the uh, big hammer and see if they could ring the bell. And if they couldn't ring the bell, see how high they could drive the lead weight by uh, striking down. It's like um, this, this aspiration, it, it, an even better allegory might be sort of the pull or the magnetic tug of your oversoul pulling upon your emotional nature. And you feel that magnetic attraction toward your higher self in much the same way you would fall in love romantically and feel that attraction, feel that sometimes you literally feel tugging at your heart and the magnetic nature of love 
as consciousness, therefore the magnetic nature of consciousness is at the core of the heart and soul of mindfulness. You are mindful of the perspective and you are mindful that ultimately mind is everything. But there is a point of power in the heart. So metaphysically, we talk about all is mind. Buddha said this as well. Everything is mind. The one thing, as the Egyptians would say, the one life, the Godhead, the one about whom naught may be said, above the Father aspect now. Okay, the whole Trinity would be a function of the Godhead, the ultimate Kether, the highest high. You notice God refers to itself as we, even in Genesis, uh, which is, again, part of this whole concept that, yes, there's a trinity. We have talked about that. We will talk about that. The father aspect is the mental nature, the mind, the son aspect, the Buddha nature, or the Christos, that consciousness, that enlightenment, that perfect love. That's a correspondence of the soul level or the sun, the Christos or Buddha nature. Then the third aspect of the Trinity is the reflection or the manifestation out into the world. This is the mother aspect. Um, this is what the Catholic and Christian churches, Protestant churches call Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. All right, But it's magnetically the mother you have father son fill in the blank you know <laughs> it's obviously matter mater you know the word the material world is the mother aspect because she is receptive to the outgoing manifesting causal power of the one mind okay mental nature um, emotional nature and physical nature in man is a lower correspondence of this. So consciousness is in the middle. To be mindful is to have that perspective, the perspective of the higher heart, that step back, that approach. What I was saying is, you, you know, it's, it's not an either-or. You don't have to uh, be the Christ or, or enjoy nirvana and this perfect enlightenment to benefit from... Um, hitting the lead weight that high toward the bell <laughs> or allowing yourself uh, consciously to be drawn toward this elevated perspective, this mindful perspective of the higher heart, the soul on its own plane, love as consciousness. Okay. If this sounds a little strange and a little new, there's only three elements here. It's not that difficult play around with it. It's a rich model, the Trinity. Um, the triangle is a powerful, powerful shape. We've talked about the three-legged African stool that never rocks. You know, a chair or a table with four legs, they've all got to be exactly the same length to be stable. But a three-legged stool, it doesn't matter at all the length of the legs. It's always stable. There's something about the triangle that that forms, that three-legged stool that caused Pythagoras to play around with triangles. And of course, the 
Pythagorean theorem, right? The working with right angles and the hypotenuse and that A squared plus B squared equals C squared. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty precise definition of the universe for an ancient Greek to to just begin to discern space based on the triangle um, is important because our tendency in the dual world is to be linear, and linear is right angles. The way that's the way most of us think. We live in a very right angled world, missing a lot of the flow that's available to us, but. The triangle is a basic building shape is found in the geodesic dome, of course, and comes from the three-legged stool and speaks to the divine trinity. Yes, it does. And the threeness of things. The space has a threeness. Height, width, and depth. Time has a threeness. Past, present, and future. And, and, the, and the magic is always in the middle. The present. <laughs> past, present, and future, <clears throat> the heart and soul, the middle, the second element of these trinities over and over again is, is where the magic is found. And to be mindful of this concept that the power is in the heart, that, a, that there is but one mind, and it has a heart, it is conscious. This is sometimes called the triangle of manifestation in metaphysics, and it is the trinity, spirit, consciousness, and matter. We live in a world of energy and a world of material form, and yet this world is conscious. There is this middle element, right, that springs like the sun from father spirit and mother matter, the Christos, the Buddha nature, the soul on its own plane, standing between the source and its manifestation. To be mindful of yourself as standing in that middle position is incredibly powerful. And yet, approaches have to be made. You can't just leap to Christ consciousness. Uh, and if you do, if you get a piece of it, if you become totally gobsmacked, cosmic consciousness, um, you're still largely, in spite of all your aspiration, um, a, a, a subject of it. I don't want to say a victim, <laughs> but uh, it's nothing you can hold on to, and hopefully you can maintain it for a while, but it tends to be fleeting as long as we're in form. This is the idea of even great spiritual masters being tempted. Even the Christ was tempted um, by literally the devil. Uh, I say literally. Um, those who take things literally, the orthodox view would be the devil. Um, the allegory, the primary allegory that I think most people recognize there is the ego, tempted by the ego. Satan is your ego. It's your fear-based nature. Right? It's this lower common identity that comes forward given the lifestyles we've created for ourselves. The frenzy, the high stimulus, the multitasking, uh, the belief that we're going someplace, that we're accomplishing something important, 
Where are we going? What are we doing? And why are we doing it? What is this rat race? Right? We all, for 50 years, have talked about the hamster cage and the rat race and the treadmill of existence. Well, life as a path is an ancient allegory. Uh, the whole idea of the middle way or Jacob's ladder or the stairway to heaven. It's the spine. It's the caduceus, right? It's the shushumna. It's, uh, it's the middle way. Um, it's, it's the journey, not the destination. And yet we spend a lot of our lives thinking it is the destination. We are trying to solve something or resolve something or get someplace, uh, accomplish something, solve a problem. Well, yeah, there has to be some of that in our lives. But do we have to frame our entire existence as a journey to a destination, to a point where we've accomplished something? And for what purpose? Perhaps the wise women and men of all times have said to us, there's more to that. Maybe there's just living, being a living. And this too is mindfulness, to be aware of the moment right now and not let the, the frenzy, the high stimulus, the anxieties and the stresses of modern day existence tempt us to live only there. And if we do have to live there sometimes, then at least we can allow other times in our lives, dedicate other times in our lives to being mindful, to being aware of what's happening right here, right now, in this moment, in a very simple way. With beginner's mind, that's our program next week at FocusedPassion.com. Steve and I talk about the Zen concept of looking at things new again as if you've never seen it before, looking at your life as if you just stepped into it, as if you just got here, and it's all really quite new and different. And you've been looking at your life and experiencing life so habitually that we become numb to the impress. And we live this numbness, and oddly there is an ache, uh, a desperate ache that is associated with refusing to feel your feelings. <laughs> it sounds contradictory. Well, if I can't feel my feelings, it shouldn't hurt. Well, I didn't write the rules. That's the way humans are set up. When we shut down on our feelings across the board, and we do, you can't just shut down the hurt and let the love in, right? You shut down on any one of your emotional feelings. You shut down on all of them to the same degree. And if we live in that place because of being so stressed and overstimulated, if we're not mindful, when we're not mindful, and we repress those feelings, refuse to feel them, don't want to be aware of how we feel emotionally and even physically. That hurts. There's an ache associated with that. 
a, a symptom, a little reminder that this is not a healthy condition. And so we have to take a look at what hurts, understand what hurts, realize it, and then you release it, or it just falls away, it vaporizes, it ceases to be in the presence of understanding. That's mindfulness. That's consciousness. That's understanding with a capital U, second ray. Love as consciousness, love truth. Wisdom. Okay, that's that middle element again, mindfulness. I said at the beginning of the class today that uh, this concept of mindfulness came to me slowly because I was initially using meditation more as self-hypnosis with visualization and guided imagery, um, focusing on my thoughts in a relaxed level, creating instead of eight or ten thoughts spontaneously occurring and competing for my attention, I could let go of that through relaxation and going into alpha paradise level of relaxation, meditation, contemplation, could focus my attention on a single thought stream and reinforce it even with visualization. Still powerful skill set, especially for healing, but even emotional healing responds as well as these techniques that have been developed in bridge medicine now. Um, the allied healthcare fields where uh, people are integrating the idea of guided in imagery and visualization, really exploiting in a conscious and deliberate uh, fashion the so-called placebo effect, programming people to have expectations that they can manage or at least influence their pain and thereby uh, accelerate their healing. Guided imagery and visualization focusing on a single thought stream or train of thinking uh, this was this was really where I came to the more esoteric um, philosophies and then began to realize what these Buddhists were talking about with the idea of mindfulness it's almost as if then we could take the meditative awareness the singular focus, hold it gently in our hands as if it were fragile and bring it into the waking state as we open our eyes and continue breathing out into the world with this peaceful, singular awareness of what's happening right now. And again, not holding on to that Quite the contrary. Just feeling like, again, you're holding it gently in the palm of your hands. You're balanced and centered, but not through effort. Merely a matter of allowing and resting, sitting, relaxed, open and receptive, even vulnerable. Think about words like receptive and vulnerable. 
right? Now we're letting go of visualization and, and guided imagery, the self-hypnosis side of focusing, using these relaxed states, these meditative states, to focus on a single thought stream, letting go of that, and standing receptive, vulnerable, open, like a vessel, right? to insight, to revelation, inspiration, realization, and understanding. Quite different than logic, which is always breaking things down. It's deductive. We're math-oriented. We want to factor it out, break it down, categorize it, pigeonhole it, get it down to something neat like X equals 2. Always. <laughs> right? Nail it down. Like that. It wasn't it Maslow that said, uh, when your only tool is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. That's what we do with logic. We hammer, <laughs> we want to use that mind that we've been given uh, to be deductive, which is a wonderful thing. Logic is a wonderful thing. <laughs> I'm celebrating. Uh, be reasonable. That's that's a great thing. But it's not the only way to think. It's not the only type of thinking. There is a intuitive, uh, receptive openness, uh, free association. That receptivity to to form gently the intention to open yourself, to be receptive. Here, uh, what if I say it this way? This is Aristotle. The intelligence found in the ability and willingness. I don't know if Aristotle said exactly like this, but this is the drift. To consider an idea that you do not believe. Okay, that's a great example of wisdom, or at least critical thinking ability, to be able to consider an idea that you don't really believe, or believe in, in which you do not believe. <laughs> okay, lots of folks can't do that. I mean, they could, they don't want to do that, for whatever reason. Another topic for another show. So in some ways, mindfulness, at least for me, was taking this focus out into the world. And again, as the teachers have taught us and handed down this tradition, and the richness of Buddhism here, that there are so many different schools and sects and philosophies and arts and culture that go along with the various forms of Buddhism, there's a lot to draw on here. Mindfulness is found throughout. It's, it's a core Buddhist teaching. And also found in Taoism and yoga uh, philosophies in general. And in the West, it's not that the Greeks were unaware of their intuitive nature. Uh, Plato talks about inspiration in an interesting way used the word diamond, D-A-E-M-O-N. 
Damon or Diamond sounds a lot like demon if you just drop the A. And uh, yet it didn't have the negative connotations in Plato's time. It was more a voice of inspiration that would whisper in your ear. Be like a spirit guide or a counselor, a daemon, a demon. was a positive thing um, to be trusted. This is a dilemma for people. Which of these voices do I trust? You know, I remember Billy Graham saying, never meditate, never open your mind, because then the devil gets in there. Right? Well, I would say better to know the devil, better to understand the devil, and realize what it represents, which is fear and ignorance. That's what it represents. Simply said, all evil is fear and ignorance. It's really quite simple. That's what that little guy in the red underwear and the, and the pitchfork is really all about. Mindfulness, bringing your attention back to the moment. Understanding that we've made lifestyles out of being distracted. And we lay over this frenzied distraction stories that we tell ourselves that we repeat over and over in our heads. Again, these streams of thought or these thought trains driving through the middle of your brain the story that you tell yourself as if Your job is to write your autobiography and finish it just before you die. The stories that you tell other people. The stories that we tell. I don't want to sound too preachy here. The stories that we tell. Remember Jacob Bohm, what the self describes, describes the self. Even when we think we're telling stories about other people. Why are you telling the story? Why do you care? This is, you know, this is what I, uh, this was at the core of my talk show uh, during the 30 plus years I was doing talk radio before, you know, it, it went all right wing and got all political and everything. Was, okay, I hear what you believe, and we would often use current events, news, politics, whatever, weather, <laughs> as, uh, like a pretext. And then people would call and tell you what they thought about this or that or the other thing. And I think blah, blah, blah. And then I would say, well, that's interesting, but tell me why you believe that. I would always find some way of taking the conversation to, well, why do you care? Why is this important to you? Why do you feel so strongly about it? And made it about the caller time and time again. And some people caught on to it, but A lot of people never really caught on to it, and yet I think it's what made the program um, appealing and intriguing, even compelling, some people would say. They just couldn't turn it off because they were really interested in human nature and why we think what we think and why we feel the way we feel. 
And the answer is, again, consciousness. And to be mindful is to be conscious that you are the consciousness that magnetically draws these thoughts and feelings to you as forms. That's the basic metaphysical idea, that you don't generate a thought or a feeling. They don't come from you. They're forms that exist on their own planes, the thought plane or the emotional plane or sphere, sometimes called the astral plane. And that these ways of thinking and types of feelings exist as forms on their own discrete planes or in their own spheres. Okay. And that it's the magnetic nature or the frequency of consciousness that attracts these particular thought forms and feeling forms. You magnetize them. You pull them toward you. To be aware of yourself doing that is mindfulness. As an alternative perspective, an elevated or higher point of view than to identify as the thinker of these thoughts, which have to be believed and trusted because this is what I think. So therefore, this is who I am. No, this is what you think, and that's not who you are. It's an important part of who you are in form. But it's there's more. It's not all of who you are. There's more to be mindful of. But we could even say that normal consciousness is mindless. Anytime you're driven by your thoughts and you think you have to do what your thoughts tell you to do, and you say, well, if I don't do what my thoughts tell me to do, then what am I supposed to do? What you tell me to do? No. <laughs> How about what you feel? Especially when it doesn't contradict with what you think. It fits in the long run nicely, quite nicely with what you think once you understood it from a feeling point of view, from a deeper point of view. Again, emotional is deeper in many ways than the mental nature, the logical nature when it comes to knowing the self anyway. You could argue that when it comes to knowing the world around you, the mental nature, your 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 thoughts will sort of be the uh the guiding force as opposed to the feelings. The feelings would just sort of color the thoughts. But you'll approach the exterior world from a thinking place. But the interior world, you might consider turning that around and approaching it from an emotional place. Okay? And the thoughts become secondary. And then you find that that's a portal to the spiritual self. Again, to this mindful soul on its own plane, above and free of form, this elevated perspective that we can ascend to or toward you see, 
let's be realistic about it. If we can just, with a practice of meditation, study, and mindfulness, meditation, every day, 15, 20 minutes, some form of meditation, just watch your breath, if nothing else, Develop the ability to detach and watch your body breathing itself. Uh, That'll help you to develop an ability to watch your thoughts without being the thinker and watch your feelings come up from a detached point of view. Imagine seeing your anger before you're angry, seeing it a mile down the road and saying, There's my anger down there, and it's coming this way. And doing it not just from a mental place of, I see you, anger. I see you coming. Not just a, a mental, now what do I do? Let's think and reason and plan based on all the way, different ways things could be dangerous to me. but from a calm emotional place. And that is what is necessary, a quiet mind, a relaxed mind, a physically relaxed, safe body, even if anger is approaching, feels safe in your body, quiets the mind, and that calms the emotional nature. So from a calm, emotionally calm, mentally quiet place, You see anger approaching. You can easily manage that anger. You can find the hurt in the anger. This is true for depression as well. Depression tends to be interdirected anger. Tends to be, not all of it, but a significant, the vast majority of what is identified as depression is interdirected anger and frustration. And he's just sort of throwing the towel and knuckle under to it. Depression and anger, if anger is more likely directed out into the world, we tend to be angry at someone. It's difficult for most people just to be angry without needing to direct it somehow at someone or something. And the idea of misdirected anger is something that we see a lot in psychology, right? We've all seen this in our own lives, um, in ourselves or in others. More important to see it in yourself, where the anger is just misdirected. You suddenly realize that you're not really angry at this person, right? You've sort of conjured up a reason maybe to be angry at them. You're just angry, and you needed to vent it and thought that it needed a direction, (laughs) We're not that familiar with our emotions yet. And this is what we have to do to qualify to become mindful and develop ourselves spiritually as a, an ability to cultivate and develop a quiet mind and a calm emotional nature. It's a lot like water. I probably overuse this allegory. I just think it's so rich. Forgive me if you've heard it too many times, but water is the emotional nature. And if your emotions are in turmoil, if you're upset, hurt, 
uh, angry or depressed. It's as if this water is turbulent and choppy, and it doesn't reflect anything, and you can't see into the water because of the little waves and the chop in the water. But as the water calms, and just feel your emotional nature calming down, like the surface of a pond, as it becomes as smooth as glass and mirror-like. Now you can see into the water, you can see into your emotional nature when it's calm. But you can also see what's reflected on the surface which is that which stands above you, the sky, the clouds, indeed the sun. You feel that? Standing above you, reflected on the surface as you look down, provided that the water is calm, that you are emotionally tranquil and peaceful. This is what peace has to do with it. And, of course, that goes hand in hand with a quiet mind, a gently focused mind, which we call mindfulness, the awareness that you are, the consciousness, the awareness above and free of form. Focused into this form through your mental and emotional and physical natures. Okay, to be mindful of that. To bring that meditation then into your waking state. And many times a day you'll have to return. You'll have to bring your attention back to being mindful because we get distracted and tempted to live habitually by rote. We have so many habits and routines in our lives. We do them by rote so that the mind is free to think of other things. And often, it's to distract ourselves from the present. So we go off into those stories we talked about, the past, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we use to appeal to other people, or the fears of anticipating the future, and using that logical mind to explore every possible way you could be put in danger. Every way you could fail, every possible problem, as if preparing for the problem is the best strategy. You take your eye off the goal and put your eye on the anticipated problem that's not even real and doesn't even exist yet. What direction are you going to go in except that problem creating a perceived need for even more worry, which just ensures that you get what you expect and go where you look and reap what you sow. Henry Ford, I believe it was, said, problems are those things you see when you take your eye off the goal. So if you keep your eye on the goal, there are no problems. There are simply opportunities along the way to learn what you need to learn to continue toward the goal. Just like a video game, you have to master a certain level before you go on to the next level. 
on to the next level and on to the next level. But you, there's work you have to do to qualify for that. Okay. I'm tempted to get into the argument of social promotion in schools because that's a different on to the next level. We're talking about knowing the material before you're passed on to the next level. That's the way it works in life anyway. That's the nature of our evolution mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. This conscious evolution to be mindful of your growth, to be committed to your growth. I mean, to do things, to take workshops and seminars and, and, and go to retreats. You know, not just ours, other people's retreats, too. And buy books and and read and contemplate and set aside some time, ideally early in the morning, but, you know, it could be any time that works for you. And just adjust your schedule to carve out what is 15 minutes once a day, really, in the scheme of things? You say you don't have time. I guarantee you that if you begin to meditate, to contemplate, to practice introspection, meditation, for 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day, once a day, I guarantee that will give you more time at the end of the day, not not compete with your busy schedule. You'll have more time in the rest of your day because you'll see things more clearly. You'll worry less. You'll generally be more positive. You'll tend to be happier. You'll see the joy in simple everyday things. It's more likely anyway, right? That's all I'm saying. It's more likely. Uh, uh, many of what you might have otherwise seen as problems you don't see as problems because from this slightly elevated perspective, you recognize that was just a fear and illusion. It's really not a problem. Okay? That that's going to work itself out just fine. Don't worry about it. Let it go. You invented that thing. Put your eye back on the goal. Keep moving toward the goal right? with that positive expectation. People are afraid not to be afraid. You understand? <laughs> do, you, do you get that? The fear that we have to not be afraid. It's like if if I give up my fear, that would be frightening. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it would feel to be safe to allow myself to feel safe. Well, what if you practiced for fifteen or twenty minutes once a day? Maybe you could. Learn how it feels to feel safe. And then begin to practice trusting yourself, trusting life, allowing more of it to unfold. Not that you can't be willful. You know, you can continue to set goals and dream dreams and form intentions. That's certainly necessary in life. But in balance with this receptivity that we've talked about, in balance with having a life to live by being aware and conscious and awake in the moment, to be mindful.
Okay. Um, I had some material I wanted to share with you about mindfulness practices. Let me bring that up on my screen and uh, do a time check here and see if I have time to share some of this with you. I'm opening word. This takes a minute. Now let me read through this quickly. This is a, a series of, or a set of suggestions about becoming mindful in your daily life and affairs. Uh, attribution in this goes, I found this on the internet, uh, attribution goes to the Benson Henry Institute for Mind-Body Medicine. And um, what do we have here? Ten, ten little practices. Number one is you awaken in the morning, bring your attention to your breathing. Instead of letting your mind spin off into yesterday or today, the future, Take mindful breaths. Focus on your breathing and sense the effects of breathing throughout your body. In other words, in the morning when you wake up, pay attention to waking up, to breathing, to filling your body, stretching. This would be a good time to do a little bit of yoga stretching, some asanas. Permit me to have a little sip of my coffee here. Number two, instead of hurrying to your usual routine, slow down and enjoy something special about the morning, a flower that bloomed, the sound of the birds, the wind in the trees. I was reflecting this morning on the thunder that we heard last night. It's fairly rare in uh, Hawaii that we uh, hear thunder or see lightning. But uh, last night it came rolling down the volcano, uh, echoing around through the canyons, and uh, it was pretty cool uh, to lay there and listen to that. And then I reflected upon that this morning. And just let that thunder, the sound of the thunder, roll over me and through me and awaken me. Right? Um, trying to stay tuned to nature, or better said, allowing yourself, that trying word, uh, allowing yourself to uh, be in harmony, sympathy, uh, empathy with nature. Number three, on your way to work or school, pay attention to how you walk or drive or ride uh, in the car, the bus, the train. Take some deep breaths, relaxing throughout your body. For if you're driving in a car or riding in a car and you come up to a red light, use that opportunity to, again, bring your attention back to your breathing and at the same time look around you and enjoy the landscape around you inner city, suburban, rural, wherever you happen to be, take a look, take a deeper look, especially if it's a route you drive every day. 99% of what's around you at any given moment, you've never seen, you've never looked at. Okay? Wake up, 
Number five, when you arrive at your destination, take a few moments to orient yourself. Breathe consciously and calmly. Relax your body and then begin your work. Now, they don't suggest it, but since we're already at work here, let me, before we go any further, farther, let me say that another nice exercise in mindfulness when you drive is to be aware of how it feels to drive, to be aware of the feeling of the steering wheel in your hands, to be aware of the fact to awaken yourself consciously and deliberately to the fact that you are steering this vehicle right now with with a series of little movements back and forth. Become aware of that. Awaken yourself to that, to the feeling of the way the car responds to pressure from your right foot and the way it feels when you quickly pull that foot off the accelerator and step on the brake hard, harder than you meant to, and you sort of lurch forward. Awaken to those feelings, to the way the... Did you ever buy new tires and you were amazed at the difference in the way the ride felt just from buying new tires, better tires or worse tires? (laughs) It was a different ride. It felt different. And we're aware of that for a minute, and we forget it, and we never feel it again. And life is so rich. There is so much to be experienced that we're not experiencing. And here's a series of practices to help us awaken to the moment. So lost are we in thought and in the fog of regrets and fears past and the future distractions. Number six, when sitting at your desk or keyboard, become aware of the subtle signs of physical tension that is in your in your physical body and take a break to stretch or walk around at least once an hour. Stand up, stretch, move away from your machine. Take care of your body. Become aware of it. How does it feel to walk? Feel your feet in your feet. Feel the energy of your feet walking down the hallway. As you sit in the chair, feel how it feels to put your butt and your the backside of your upper legs on that chair to sit back. Right? Does this chair fit? Does it feel right? How's your posture throughout the day? Again, watch your posture. Check your spine. Move. Move a little bit. Just awareness. It's it's not just a matter of remembering to do these things. I mean, every magazine on the stand is full of lists and tips on things to remember. It's having the awareness to do it that is mindfulness. That's what's being developed here. Seven, use the repetitive events of the day, the ringing telephone, a knock on the door, walking down the hall, as cues for a mini relaxation. So you could just choose any one of those common stimuli. Choose one of them as a trigger to relax and associate 
You can do it in a meditation. You can do it simply by forming the intention and repeating the practice. Um, Every time the phone rings, I'm going to take a breath and relax and feel the letting go in my body. I know people laugh, boy, I'd be doing nothing else. Still, what better time to take a breath and relax than just before you answer the telephone at work or any of these other cues? Number eight, walk mindfully to your car or the bus. This, you know, core mindfulness. When you walk, you pay attention to walking. Try it out sometime. It's a curious experience to be aware of yourself walking, of the way you move your center of gravity, the way you lean forward and shift your weight just a little bit as you take that first step and create a little bit, little bit of momentum and then swing your next leg through and the way the heel touches the ground and you roll forward onto the ball of your foot pushing off to carry you forward and the spring in your step and and the amount of flex in your knees and the way your hip bones feel in your hips and the way your hips move and shift, and the way your arms swing at the shoulders, and the spine twists a little bit as you walk. What if you thought about that while you were walking? That's a mindfulness practice, to bring yourself gently into a focus of the moment, the joyful moment, as it turns out. And do it without judgment, without anything being good or bad. This is also an important component of mindfulness. That judging just takes you back into the thought process and back into the worry and lifts you back into normal consciousness. Okay. And um, it's, it's really a feeling. It's really all about the letting go feeling and allowing in the receptivity that we talked about before. Uh, where did I leave off? Nine, as you return home, consciously make the transition into your home environment. If possible, after greeting your family or your roommates, give yourself a few minutes alone to ease the transition. Right, relax. Now everybody says, well, that's the first thing I do when I get home. But yeah, do we do it consciously? Or do we unconsciously pick up a stack of mail and start looking at bills, which sets us off into a cycle of worry and wonder and 18 different issues suddenly spring to mind? What if you just sat down and did nothing but relax and did nothing, just really just gave it all up for a few minutes? You see, allow yourself that. Most of us are just too hard on ourselves. Ten, as you go to sleep, let go of today, let go of tomorrow, and take some slow, mindful breaths. I think you've probably noticed the most common element uh, in that list, the the word probably used more than any other, is um, uh, breath, the importance of breath. That's your metronome. That's your uh, 
that that is your portal into the now. That's the doorway into the present moment. Is to repeatedly bring your awareness back to your breathing, to center yourself, to balance yourself. Breathing, breathing is a very rich experience. For many reasons, but perhaps one of the most important, I'll I'll say without the perhaps, and one of the most <laughs> one of the most important distinctions about breathing is that it's both autonomic and yet we can easily exert voluntary control to a point over what is essentially in involuntary stimulus response mechanism, stimulus response, uh, yeah, mechanism. Um, You can hold your breath. I think the only other one that I've ever thought of, uh, Steve told me, uh, my partner, uh, business partner, uh, Steve Snyder from FocusedPassion.com mentioned blinking that you have an involuntary blinking, but you could blink deliberately as well. Same thing with the breath. You're always going to breathe at some point. You can only hold your breath to a point, and then the overriding program of survival says, sorry, I admire your willpower, but you're going to breathe now. (laughs) Uh, Even if you pass out, uh, you will pass out so that you begin to breathe again. And uh, so nobody ever committed suicide by holding their breath. And yet we can hold our breath. We can influence other things like a heartbeat, for example, or the secretion of a particular gland by putting our attention and our will on it, in particularly in deeply relaxed, focused states of mind. But the influence uh, is minimal, can be minimal. Uh, The ability to manage pain with the mind is a good example. Or again, influence uh, the secretion of a gland. Um, I've done guided imagery and visualization for acid indigestion, and it worked really, really well. Some things are very suggestible, warts, for example, very, very suggestible. And other things, very resistant, it seems. And even that, then, will vary uh, by in, from individual to individual. I have another, uh, let's see, what time is it now? It's 10 after real time. Um, let me just go over these quickly. This is a list that uh, I put together of some different types of mindfulness exercise beside meditation. Um, Certainly meditation itself, whether it's the kind of guided imagery we've already discussed and that you often hear on this class at the end of this class or in the Focus Passion program, Finding Yourself in Paradise, will literally suggest that you imagine yourself in a beautiful wilderness or a garden um, that somebody has uh, created and, and cultivated as a place of perfect peace. 
using that kind of visualization. Or a simple meditation like we just discussed where you're focused only on your breathing, where you put your attention on the base of your nose. Uh, another mindfulness exercise is just breathing itself in your normal awake state when there is no meditation. Um, to breathe in the presence. We talked about seeing your anger a mile away. What would you do? Breathe. Like any time you're nervous or anxious or feeling stressed, what's the one first best thing you can do? And that's a slow, deep breath. Particularly if you inhale through the nose and feel that oxygen like a power coming into your nose. Hold as you peek. And then exhale just as slowly through the nose or the mouth, whatever feels more natural. Go beyond where you'd normally stop all the way out and then take at your own rate, at your own pace, a second slow, deep breath, inhaling through the nose. And each time you exhale, you feel a letting go feeling, whether it's letting go of anger, letting go of any kind of sadness or depression, letting go any uh, of any kind of hurt, right, or upset. Just feel it falling away. That's the power of breath. Okay. Then then there, there's more. Uh, listening to music, I have to say, real important. Uh, and I mean listen to the music. Allow yourself to be carried away by the music. Uh, listen to a variety of music, and uh, in particular, I would say, soothing uh, music for these purposes. Um, I like rock and roll. I love rock and roll. Uh, the blues, uh, rockabilly, uh, even some really loud, uh, heavy metal I can enjoy. But I don't want to live there, right? Those are for short periods of standing on your chair, pulling your hair out and uh, dancing the night away. It's a wonderful feeling, <laughs> a wonderful thing. But I, again, I'm not going to live there. So uh, that's not really promoting mindfulness. But a more soothing, a Baroque in the classical field, uh, Baroque music or anything that really, what's the saying, soothes the savage breast, that calms your heart. That's what that means. Okay is going to be good. And listen to it. Don't play it in the background while you think and then call it a mindfulness meditation. Sometimes I used to ask my students or clients um, to listen to a short piece of music and um, that after four or five minutes, I would ask them about their experience of the music. It's sort of a trick I played, but it demonstrated a point after that four or five minute period of playing some nice classical music, I would say to the client or the student, so what were you thinking? And if they were really listening to the music, they would say, oh, I didn't think about much of anything. I was just listening to the music. But oftentimes, I don't know, 50% or more. It feels like about a 50-50 deal. About half of the time, People would say, oh, well, I was thinking about this and that and this and that. And funny you should ask. And I even thought about this. And, and I said, um, 
so you didn't listen to the music. And they would tend to say something like, oh, I didn't think about the music, or I thought about the music, but well, wait a minute, I didn't even ask you to think about the music. I asked you to listen to the music. That's more of a feeling, isn't it? So don't you have to sort of put your thoughts aside, or at least turn your thoughts to an awareness of your feelings? Think about your feelings? <laughs> if not, feel the feeling directly? To experience the impact of music. This is a wonderful uh, mindfulness exercise. Uh, many say cleaning house, because uh, it's something you got to do anyway. You know, the Buddha says, uh, chop wood, carry water, uh, then meditation, then chop wood, carry water. Or I think Jack Cornfield said, uh, first enlightenment and then the dirty laundry. Uh, there's stuff you've got to do out into the world. You've got to do the dishes. I used to have a cartoon. Uh, God, this has been a long time ago. In the 70s, in the mid-70s, I had this cartoon uh, pinned to the wall above the kitchen sink of Mr. Natural Does the Dishes. And Mr. Natural is all grumpy in the first of the four frames. And he's just beginning to do this big sink this sink that's piled high with all these dirty dishes, and he's grumbling and scowling. And in each frame, he's feeling a little more positive as more and more of the dishes are getting done, so that by the fourth frame of the cartoon, the dishes are all done and shiny and sparkly and in the dish strainer, and he's in a happy mood and uh, feeling really good about life. Um, you can do that. You got to do. You got to do the dishes anyway. You got to do the dirty laundry anyway. So why not be mindful about it? Why not put your attention on it? Why not pretend you care about it? Maybe even pretend that it's fun. Sort of get into it, uh, or move in that direction. Again, <laughs> don't don't put the bar too high. Uh, anything in that direction is going to help. I would think. Another mindfulness exercise, uh, we talked about watching your breathing. There's also watching your thoughts. And this is um, a little more challenging, but you can dedicate uh, some meditations to this. And what I'd recommend is watching the gaps between the thoughts or the, the points at which a particular thought stream changes topic. And sit back and, again, we're talking about the stream of thoughts that occurs spontaneously when your thinking is not applied to a particular task, like reading a book or writing checks or um, studying a map or something, or even deliberately making a decision as you stare out the window. We're talking about putting all of that down, sitting back, relaxed, there's still that thought stream, right? That's what we're talking about, watching mindfully unfold, right? Whether you think it comes out of you that you're generating it or attracting it via the magnetic nature of consciousness, 
that we talked about earlier and its particular frequencies. Just watch it. Watch it unfold. Uh, watch that uh, thought stream and pay particular attention to the pauses or the gaps. That's a way out. That's a doorway out. You can begin to open those gaps between the thoughts. And there's also a paradigm about the four roads of thought in a book entitled simply Concentration by Ernest Wood, or Woods, Ernest Wood, I believe. It's a theosophical publication, Quest Books, um, Concentration by Ernest Wood. He talks about the four roads of thought, the four different connections that a particular train of thoughts or a thought stream can make to another thought stream that is sure to follow. And how are those connected? What is the nature of the link when your mind goes off on a tangent or in a slightly different direction? Again, instead of being that thinker driven by those thoughts, as if you're a passenger in the car and the thought stream is driving the car, consider stepping back mindfully, being the driver of the car, and put the thought stream, which is your ego, really, fear-based ego, in the passenger position where it ought to be, riding shotgun and looking over your shoulder. And um, those are just some ideas uh, that I had about different ways of uh, developing mindfulness. Okay, let me uh, get rid of this and come back to my page here. Let's go to the uh, questions and comments. If you're on the telephone, press star 2 if you'd like to comment. And uh, again, as I look, few callers on this day after Christmas. A few, just a few people on the telephone. Let me go to the um, where's my Q&A section and refresh this page and see who we have here. A few people checking in. In Pittsburgh, John Bowles, aloha, Michael, happy holidays to you and Doreen. Thank you, John. Merry Christmas to you. Carol is with us. Hi, Carol. Carol's in La Habra, Southern California. She says hello, Michael and Doreen. Also in the greater Los Angeles area, Tribuco Canyon, Dorena Stern. Hi, Dorena. Says hi, Michael. Hope you and Doreen are having a very joyful holiday season. All my love to you. I have found mindfulness the most useful technique for moving past depression and anxiety. I think it's way more effective than the mind-numbing medications that people are turning to instead of looking within. It's the single most powerful tool we can use to understand life. I use it in my work to help others, and thanks for teaching it so clearly. Well, thanks for saying it's clear. <laughs> uh, I, I feel the same way, and I'm glad you've had that success with it. We're going to continue to talk about it because it's it's the big overarching umbrella here. It's the container in which um, all of our um, personal and spiritual development uh, exists. 
it's all inside your awareness of it. Reality exists uh, within the context of how mindful we are. Our, our whole experience is here to either be witnessed or to be slept through. And oddly, life is more painful when we experience it as sleepwalkers. There is no real benefit to living more than a modicum, more than, than just a few appropriate areas of our lives, should we live habitually. The idea that you might have need to walk or run without being mindful, you might want to reserve the opportunity to think of something other than walking while you walk, Maybe walk hurriedly because you've got to figure out what to do to get to a certain place at a certain time. Fine. You give up being mindful, but you know, you can always take a breath and pull back. So it's a balance. It's a blend. Sometimes we do need to extend ourselves farther out into the world. But don't go all the way out there to the sleepwalker, to the habitual a psychically numbed existence that most people live 24-7, always take a breath, pull back a little bit toward the center to be mindful of whatever degree you have extended yourself out into the physical world and now you're in a hurry to get someplace and you're in gridlock in the middle of a, the 405 or your freeway of choice, given wherever you happen to live. Uh, these are choices we made. You chose to be there, right? You can choose not to be there. Maybe not in the moment. You're going to be there for a while, but you can make the choice in the moment. <laughs> but the best choices are, are really realizations. It's not a matter of choosing so much as primarily to realize, to understand that to take that breath, to pull back, and get that higher perspective. That's really what we're talking about. So many problems just fall away when you realize that there were figments of your imagination in the first place, that you're right on track, doing just fine. Also with us today from what I am sure is sunny, warm, Tucson, Arizona, Lorelei Hatch. Hello, Lorelei. Happy holidays to you and Doreen. Peace and love to all. Yes, peace on earth, goodwill to all men, humans. Something that if you said in July would be controversial. You'd be a pacifist, an anti-war, peacenik. What is this peace on earth stuff? What do you think this is? Christmas time? <laughs> Joy to the world. Let's do a little meditation, a little mindfulness exercise here. A simple one. Just watch our breath for a few minutes and uh, show you how simple meditation can be. How easy and how accessible. And then we'll uh, close the class for this week. Again, next week we'll talk about resolutions, commitments, declarations. We'll talk even a little about willpower and 
What's more powerful than willpower? Imagination. And how is it that imagination is more powerful than will when it comes to maintaining those New Year's resolutions, revolutions, realizations, (laughs) declarations and commitments to yourself, to your higher self, in your self-interest, but not the interest of the separated self, always for the greater good of all concerned, that higher self, that is a self. Many teachings say that's not the self. The only self is the separated self. Well, okay, we like to teach with a model that says there is a higher self, the soul on its own plane, above and free of form. This, by the way, in the ageless wisdom down through the ages, has been the greatest heresy of all, the pre-existence of the soul. The understanding that the incarnated separated self, the egoic, fear-based self, is an extension of the soul that tends to forget itself as it involves itself in form, in the clay. And yet, in life, can remember its higher self, its true authentic self, consciousness, as the soul, above and free of form, and then work as an incarnated, separated being in form (laughs) to mindfully develop that higher self, that sense of self. The idea that your soul already exists, however, and where would it exist? Well, that would be heaven. The idea that your soul is already in heaven that it could not be elsewhere, that this is hell, this earthly existence so in need of the coming of the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. To bring heaven to earth, to redeem this place, gives you a little hint at your mission as the conscious oversoul. To bring peace to earth, to stop war, to feed hungry people, to work for social justice in your own little way. You have no life if you're not doing these things. And you say, I'm too busy. Well, it's not true. It's a matter of reordering our priorities and using a schedule, if necessary, a day runner, to schedule time to be of service into your life. There's also much to be said for the opportunities we have in our daily life and affairs to be kind and loving and, and be of service that way. That That is very important. and I don't mean to ignore it and say the only way to be of service is to work on a global level. You know the saying, think globally, act locally. That may be in, in your family, and with your closest friends and people you work with, what a great place to change the world. That is the place to change the world. And yet we must think globally as one family, one human family on one very isolated planet, very dependent stone rolling around the solar system, 
circling the sun, the source of all, of the energy of all life, going around and around, spinning on our axis. To what end? For what reason? To own stuff? To buy stuff? I don't think so. To convince enough people around us that we're worthy of their love? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, to attain a certain level of status or prestige, to accomplish something meaningful, uh, to leave behind evidence that I was here? I uh, No, I don't think so. What then? To be the best you that you can be. The most loving and compassionate and merciful, the kindest. Um the gentlest, the one who heals, the one who helps, the one who redeems and transforms and and uplifts, led into gold. Fear into love, ignorance into understanding. That's your job. By understanding yourself and identifying mindfully with this middle position between heaven and earth, between spirit and matter, the consciousness between spirit and matter. Close your eyes and relax if you haven't already. Get comfortable and put your attention on your breathing at the bottom of your nose. And watch your body breathe itself all by itself. And every once in a while, take a nice, slow, deliberate, deep breath. Inhaling through your nose, fill your lungs, and hold for just a moment before you exhale, just as slowly. Going beyond where you might normally stop all the way out, pause for a beat, begin to inhale slowly again. And with each in-breath and out-breath, you find that you're able to breathe even more slowly as you feel safer and more relaxed. And at any time, allowing yourself to simply find your natural rhythm. Allow your body to breathe itself. Turn it over to autopilot. And simply sit there with your attention gently focused on the bottom of the nose, fixed, watching the in-breath and the out-breath, much as you'd watch the waves at the shoreline of an ocean. Rolling in, crashing on the beach, draining down the beach and back into the sea. Round and round it goes, all things. And there comes a time with a little practice that watching yourself breathe and being really interested, really fascinated in, wow, look at my body doing this. Isn't this cool? I don't even have to think about breathing. 
or beating my heart or digesting food or nourishing the cells in my body with rich blood full of oxygen and material nutrients. I don't have to think about any of that. I can just watch it happen. I can surmise that it is going on at some level. I can just observe it, watch it. Right here, right now, in the moment. And soon there comes a feeling that the body you're watching breathe itself is somewhat detached. It's almost like you're sitting next to this body that's breathing itself. You're just outside of, very nearby, in close approximation to this body that's breathing itself. But it seems somewhat other than the self that's observing it. And you identify as the self that's observing, watching, witnessing your body breathing itself. You're close by, but sort of sitting next to that breathing body. And this level of mindful detachment allows us to consider how it might feel to experience ourselves watching our thought train without being driven by the thoughts or even identifying the thoughts as my thoughts, simply witnessing that flow, that perpetual stream, endless stream of thoughts pouring through us. As I pause in my narrative, Watch your thought stream for a moment. And notice how it gets complicated because you want to judge your thoughts. You want to think about your thoughts you want to think about thinking about thinking about thinking about thinking about thinking. That'll lift you right back into normal consciousness. Let it go. Feel the letting go. Not just muscular tension, but letting go of judgment. And watch your thoughts for a moment now without judging them at all as if they were somebody else's thoughts. Detach. And just watch them go by. Don't don't marry yourself to any of them. Do that now for a few moments.
in the same way, you can become aware of any emotional feelings that you may have brought with you into this place. A particular sensitivity, some sort of tenderness or concern. And in the same detached fashion, you can feel that feeling in a different way. You can explore the nature of that emotional feeling all the way to its edges. And every little nook and cranny and behind every rock. In fact, mindfully pulling upon the wisdom to go where you're most afraid to go with regard to this feeling or set of feelings. To find the scariest bits the best parts of you are hidden where you've been most afraid to look. Go to what you do not know about the feeling to find the best in you. And as you explore it and understand it, as you realize it from the safe and detached place, it's almost like putting yourself in the middle of a movie theater might as well take the best seat in the house it's just you and me in this movie theater and up on the screen is a representation of your emotional nature and you have a remote control in your hand so you can pause this and rewind it you can jump ahead and then pause it again and then rewind it as you move to its edges, looking at what's most unknown about this emotional hurt or stress or upset or sadness. Move into it mindfully in this detached but mindful place where you can safely explore it and experience it, not just think about it, but move into it and through it. Get it all over you. Know it intimately. Allow for the intimacy, the, the vulnerability, the receptivity. Open yourself. You're built for this. You're made for this. Redeem it. Understand it. Love it. Understand it. And you transform it. You uplift it. From the darkness into the light. Practice mindfulness. Commit to it now. Make a declaration that you're going to find 
10 or 15 minutes a day to watch your breath mindfully. And then to declare to yourself that as you prepare to open your eyes in a few moments, wide awake and back in the room in which you sit, that you'll bring this mindful awareness of the moment, free from judgment, with you back into the waking state. And hold that gently in the palm of your hand. As you take a slow, deep breath, filling your lungs, hold as you peek. Exhale slowly now, and open your eyes, wide awake and alert, rested, refreshed, back in the room. Feeling fine on this day after Christmas, 2010. And thank you so very much for being here for our Ageless Wisdom Mystery School class, Becoming Mindful. You know, one of the benefits of having the streaming audio available for this class, this live webinar available streaming as well as podcast, is you can forward these programs to your friends. So if you're just thinking, boy, you know, so-and-so, I know this guy or this gal that would really love to hear this program. Well, wait five minutes. I mean, literally, no more than five minutes. And then go to theagelesswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of it, so after the W's, theagelesswisdom.com. Click on Homepage to go inside, and then click on Web Teleconferences. And today's will be posted in literally five minutes, right? The unedited version without the music, just the, the raw podcast, the recording of this program. If you pick it up as a podcast at the iTunes store or uh, somewhere else on the Internet, um, the podcast that comes out on Tuesday or Wednesday of this class uh, is compressed. It's a little louder, a little brighter. Uh, the highs and lows are normalized. Um, we put a little music on the beginning and the end. Uh, again, pick that up at the iTunes store for a free subscription or any of the podcast directories, the major ones, uh, on the Internet. And um, yet, while you might be able to find a way to send a podcast to somebody, it's so easy to send the streaming audio on the website. So click on the homepage at theagelesswisdom.com, web teleconference, and then the program you want to send out Again, this one, this one will be up in no time, the raw version. And put, put your friend's first name and email in there, and bang, off it goes. Okay, I'd appreciate it, and I think they'd probably appreciate it. And uh doesn't cost anybody anything. Again, if you want to support what we're doing, you can subscribe to our premium audio program at FocusedPassion.com for just 99 cents a week. That's $3 for now, anyway. $3.96 a month is all that it costs to subscribe to this weekly premium audio program. Conversation, really. A weekly conversation between me and, and Steve Snyder, my business partner, uh, one of the brightest guys in the field. That's why I hang out with them. And 
the conversations we have, well, if you like this class, you're going to love the, the, the compelling nature of the discussions we have on human potential topics. And um, we also, like this class, have guided imagery and meditative exercises uh, on that program as well. So for three ninety six a month, you get those four premium programs. You can pick those up with your podcatcher, right, with your iTunes or other podcatcher. And um, check out focusedpassion.com. And I hope you're really thinking seriously about joining us in February for our mindfulness retreat in Maui. Click on the bright, colorful button at either of our websites, focusedpassion.com or theagelesswisdom.com. Click on the button that says Maui Retreat for more information. Okay. Or you can call me, 818-973-3154, anytime, 24-7. That's a voicemail in Los Angeles, 818-973-3154. Thanks a lot for listening to us, whether by podcast. Thanks especially for those of you who come and join us live every week. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.